following sermon, entitled Spirit Worked Faith, was preached on the morning of May 7, 2023, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this morning to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, let's read the whole chapter. And we do so in connection with Lord's Day 25 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I should be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I know not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. 
And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the Gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the Gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. As far we read God's Word, it's on the basis of this passage and many others that we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 25. This can be found in the back of our songbooks on page 14 after the songs. Lord's Day 25. Since then we are made partakers of Christ and all His benefits by faith only. Whence doth this faith proceed? From the Holy Ghost, who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the Gospel and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible, signs and seals appointed of God for this end that by the use thereof He may more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the Gospel, namely that He grants us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both Word and sacrament then ordained and appointed for this end, that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. For the Holy Ghost teaches us in the Gospel and assures us by the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends on upon that one sacrifice of Christ which He offered for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Covenant or Testament? Two, namely, Holy Baptism and the Holy Supper. Whence doth this faith proceed? That's the question asked at the outset of Lord's Day 25. And it asks about this Faith, the faith whereby we are made partakers of Christ and all of His benefit. And understand that this question comes only after the Heidelberg Catechism has already taught us so much regarding saving faith. Already back in Lord's Day 7, the question was asked, who is saved in Jesus Christ? And the answer given, all those who are engrafted into Him and receive Him by a true faith. Establishing that only those who believe in Jesus Christ are saved. And then the Catechism asks the next logical question, well, what then is faith? And Lord's Day 7 went on to explain that faith is both a certain knowledge and a hearty confidence. Faith knows certain things and faith trusts those things to be true. Not just generally, but for 
myself. But then that raised the next question. What are those things that faith believes in? What are the things that faith trusts in? And the answer given was all things promised to us in the Holy Gospel as summarized by the Apostles' Creed. And then the Catechism went on to explain that. So that there was a whole series of Lord's Days explaining to us really the content of our faith as it explained to us the meaning of the Apostles' Creed. But then having finished the Apostles' Creed, the Catechism once again circled back to this idea of faith and asked the question, what then is the profit of believing all these things? What's the value of faith? And the answer given, that I am righteous in Christ before God by faith. That is, I'm justified by faith. Not that my faith is what makes me worthy or acceptable to God, but by faith I receive the righteousness of Christ as my own. And on that basis, I am justified. And now having taught us all those things about saving faith, we can see why the Catechism says what it does in the very question that it's by this faith that we're made partakers of Christ and all of His benefits. The Catechism has shown us that faith is vital. Faith is essential. Faith is indispensable. But now there's one more question to be asked. Where does this faith come from? Whence doth this faith proceed? That's the question being asked in question 65. You've, you've demonstrated that faith is so crucial that I cannot be saved without it, but where does it come from? How do I get it? And in that connection, there's the related question, what explains why some are given the gift of faith? Why some believe and others do not? Why is it that on the mission field, though the Gospel is preached to many, only a few are brought in? And why is it the case in the church that though all the children of the church are baptized as infants, though they all receive instruction through catechism through their parents, through the good Christian school. Yet sadly, some grow up and show that they do not believe in Jesus Christ. What explains this? Whence doth this faith proceed? That's the question before us. And understand that in asking that question, there are really only two possible explanations. Either it comes from God or it's found in man. Either I have to conjure up faith in myself through study or the act of my own free will, or this is something that God Himself gives to me and works in my heart. And the answer of Scripture to the question of which of those two is right is that this is something that God Himself works in us by His Spirit. That's the teaching of the Catechism. Whence doth this faith proceed? From the Holy Ghost who works faith in our hearts. So this morning, let's spend some time considering that truth. Using as our theme for this Lord's Day, Spirit-worked faith. First, we're going to look at the source of faith. 
Second, we will look at the means of faith, the means that are used to give us this faith. And then third and finally, the object of our faith. The spirit, spirit work faith, the source of faith, the means of faith, and the object of faith. As we said, there's really only two options when it comes to answering the question, where does faith come from? And we've already established out the outset that it comes from God, worked in us by the Holy Spirit, but there are others who believe otherwise. And because there are others who believe otherwise, we need to, first of all, address that wrong understanding. There are many who believe that faith finds its source in man. That it's just an act of man and really an act of his own free will. Man decides whether or not to believe. Still others would acknowledge faith is a gift from God. But it's a gift that's simply offered, that's held out there, but it's up to each person to decide whether or not to accept it or to reject it so that in the end it's still man deciding whether or not to receive this gift. Still others go yet a step further and say, well, God actually gives faith to all men head for head, but then it's up to man to decide whether or not to use it. So the one is that he holds it out and it's up to you to decide whether or not you receive it. The other is that he actually gives it to you, but then Having given it to you, He leaves it entirely up to man's will to decide whether or not to use it. And regardless of which form we're talking about, really all of those views fall under the umbrella of what's called Arminianism. Those are different flavors of that teaching. And while there's variation, some are more nuanced than others, nevertheless, what brings all of those different views together is that man's will his decision is determinative on whether or not someone believes. This was the error that was addressed in at the Synod of Dort in 1618 and 1619 when the churches had to do battle against the error of Arminianism. And this is really the view that's most prevalent in the broader church world around us. Even if there are churches who've never heard the phrase or the term Arminianism. Nevertheless, what they teach with regards to faith is that it really finds its source in man. And understand, there's implications for such a view. On the one hand, the implication is that if man decides whether or not to believe, then man gets at least a little bit of the credit for his salvation. Because understand, man is the one who made himself to differ in some way. He played some small role in, in saving himself and therefore, he gets a part of the credit. He gets a part of the praise for his salvation. And then on the other hand, along with that, if faith finds its source in man or it's because I'm the one who used this gift that God gave to me, well then, that's license to look down on others. If I made myself to differ, if I was able to, to do this and others were not, then I can hold myself up above others. I can now look down upon others with an attitude of pride and arrogance. Those are the implications of the teaching that 
faith finds its source in man. That's not the teaching of Scripture. Scripture teaches us otherwise. Scripture shows us that faith is a gift from God that the Spirit works in us. And it's worth taking a little bit of time to see that. And we see that, first of all, in the passage that we read this morning, Philippians 1, verse 29. In Philippians 1, verse 29, there are two things that are spoken as being given to us. The one is not surprising. The other is surprising. Verse 29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. And now of the two, the one that was no surprise for Paul's audience is that it's given to us to believe on Him. The surprising one was that it's also a gift to suffer for His sake. And we don't have time to get into that, but the point we're making is that when Paul wrote this epistle, his audience simply understood that everyone recognized it's given to us to believe. Believing being the the activity of faith. So that not just the the gift, the faculty of faith, but the very act of faith. It's a gift from God. This is likewise the teaching of Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8, for example. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And now what's in view here is really the whole of our salvation. God's grace. It's all a gift, but included in that is faith. Because faith is one of the blessings of salvation. So that though the Arminian would argue when it says it is the gift of God, it is not referring to faith. We would say even if that's true, this passage still demonstrates that faith is a gift because salvation as a whole is a gift from God. And faith is one of those blessings. This is likewise the teaching of John 6, verse 44. John 6, verse 44, Jesus says, No man can come to Me except the Father which hath sent Me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus speaks of coming to the Father. And understand that that's an act of faith. It's a matter of believing and trusting. And He tells us plainly, no man can do that unless the Father draw him. And the Father draws him by giving him the gift of faith to believe. This is the teaching. So again, we see that faith is a gift, something given to us. This is also the teaching, for example, of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where we read, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If He's the author of it and the finisher of it, well then, it doesn't come from us. It does not have its source in us, but it's a gift from Him. So you take these passages, you put them all together, and they show us faith does not have its source in man. It's not a matter of my own free will. But it's a gift. It traces its source back to our God. And specifically, it's a gift that He gives us through the work of the Spirit. That's what the catechism emphasizes in answer 65 when it asks, whence doth this faith proceed? From the Holy Ghost who works faith in our hearts. 
And He works it not in the sense of holding it out as something to be accepted or rejected or actually giving it to us and then leaving it up to us to decide whether or not to use it. But He powerfully confers it. He, he breathes it. He infuses it into us. And He not only gives us the, the faculty of faith, but he, he works in us the, the willing to believe and the actual believing. It's all a gift from Him. And He gives us faith to those whom the Father has chosen. To God's elect people. And we say that to help us answer that related question. Why is it some believe and others do not believe? Well, it goes back to God's eternal decree. And again, this is the teaching of Scripture. For example, this is what we're taught in Acts 13, verse 48. In Acts chapter 13, Paul is on the mission field. He's preached the Gospel in the synagogue to the Jews. They've rejected it. And now, Paul is explaining that the Gospel is going to be given to the the Gentiles. They rejoice over that. And then we read in verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, that the Gospel would be given to them, they were glad and glorified the Word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. When it speaks of being ordained to eternal life, that's a reference to election. To God's choosing certain people unto salvation in Jesus Christ. And notice that it says, as many as were ordained to eternal life, they are the ones who believed. And now we may not flip that order around. The order in this passage is not as many as believed were ordained to eternal life. This passage is not teaching, therefore, that well in eternity God foresaw who would believe and then He, set, he decided to choose them to be His people. That's not in harmony with this passage. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Why? Because God gave them the gift of faith. We see the same thing in John 10, verse 26, for example. John chapter 10, Verse 26. There we read Jesus saying, But ye believe not, because ye are not My sheep, as I said unto you. Jesus is explaining why the scribes and the Pharisees did not believe on Him. And one almost shudders at the thought of hearing Jesus say that. The explanation He says to them, You are not My sheep. That is, you are not the ones chosen in eternity to be My people. And again, we may not flip it around. It's not, well, because you believe not, therefore you are not My sheep. But it's because you are not My sheep. Therefore, you do not believe. What we see from these is that whether or not someone believes, is based on God's decree of election. In eternity, God chose certain individuals to be His elect people. And in time, He gives them the gift of faith so that they might believe. And believing, they might have eternal life. But for others, He passes over them and He leaves them in their sin and unbelief. 
And this is a hard teaching. It is. It's hard when the church is engaged in the work of missions and evangelism and the Word is brought and yet there are many who reject it. This is a hard teaching for the church. When though the Gospel is proclaimed to everyone sitting in the pew, yet there are some who do not believe it. Who turn their backs upon it. But though a hard teaching for us, it's clearly the teaching of Scripture. Therefore, we submit ourselves to it and says, this is what God's Word itself teaches us. But now even as there were implications that flowed from the view that faith has its source in man, there's also implications from the truth that faith is a gift that has its source in God that's worked in us by the Spirit. And on the one hand, this means this affects how we view others. And specifically, there's no room for boasting. There's no room for holding ourselves above others as though we have made ourselves to differ because we've been given this faith. It's entirely a gracious work of God. This is something freely given to me. I did not make myself to differ. Instead of having pride towards others, therefore, I ought to have pity. Pity that leads me to pray, Father, work faith in their hearts even as Thou hast worked faith in my heart. Open the, the eyes of the spiritually blind even as Thou hast opened my spiritual eyes. This is a humbling truth. Knowing that faith is a gift. But in addition, the implication is that this means God alone is to be praised. We cannot take any credit. We cannot act as though we contributed in some way to our salvation. It's God's work and therefore He alone is to be praised. This doctrine magnifies Christ which is the desire of the believers. Even as it was for the Apostle Paul, that was his desire toward the end of his life. Even as he tells us in Philippians 1, verse 20, he says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. He's saying, it does not really matter to me whether I live or I die, so long as Christ is magnified. That's our desire. That's our goal. And to teach that faith is an act of my will, or at least that my will is determinative in whether or not I believe, is to add my decision to the saving work of Jesus Christ. It's to put myself alongside of Him as a, a co-Savior in some small way which detracts from the glory of Jesus Christ. Thus, it's with a view to the glory of our God and the, the praise of our Savior Jesus Christ that we confess and believe according to Scripture, faith is a gift worked in us by the Spirit. And 
And the Spirit uses means to do this. And that's what we want to see in the second place this morning. Faith finds its source in God. The Spirit works it in us. But now, how does the Spirit go about this? And He uses means. The means of faith. When we speak of means, we're simply talking about a tool, an instrument, that is used to accomplish a specific task. These means are the things that God has created and then uses to produce a desired end. For example, mean, food is the means whereby He sustains our physical life. It's the tool He uses to, to nourish us and give us energy. Well, even as He uses a certain means, a tool, for our physical lives, so He does the same with regard to our spiritual lives. And that includes this matter of faith. So what are the means of faith? What exactly are the instruments? Well, in answering that question, understand that we can answer that question from a very broad general point of view or from a more narrow and specific point of view. Because the reality is that if we think broadly, there are many different things that God uses as means, tools, instruments to support our spiritual lives, including our faith. Uses our devotions, our own reading of the Bible, prayer. At times he uses godly friends, fellow believers in the church as tools for our spiritual welfare. That's the broad way to look at this, but there's also a, a narrow way to look at this, namely, that God uses especially two instruments, tools, means to work and to strengthen faith. Namely, the preaching and the sacraments. And that's the perspective of the catechism in question and answer 65. Whence doth this faith proceed from the Holy Ghost who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the Gospel and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. So the catechism speaks of two different means. It's answering the question from a more narrow point of view. These are the means whereby He gives us faith. And at the same time, they are the means of grace. We've been speaking in terms of the means of faith. How does the the Spirit give us work faith in our hearts? But most of us, when we think of the preaching in the sacraments, think of those as the means of grace. And we might ask, well, which is it? What do we call them? Are they the means of faith? Or are they the means of grace? And the answer is both. They're the means of grace because these are the channels through which God gives us His grace. But that grace is meant to work and to strengthen our faith. So they serve as both means of grace and the means of faith. And they're effective in both because of the work of the Spirit. In and of themselves, these do not have any power. And that's clear from the simple fact that not everyone who hears the preaching, not everyone who witnesses the sacraments, believes. And therefore, we deny the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, which says that they are effective in and of themselves. We say, absolutely not. But it's the Holy Spirit wielding them as instruments. 
using them as tools that makes them effective. Now let's look more specifically at each of these means. First, there is the preaching. Preaching is the official proclamation of the Gospel by the church through which Christ Himself speaks to His people. That is, the preaching is the declaration of the good news of salvation. The the Gospel is the message of the preaching that proclaims all the prom- which proclaims all the promises that are set forth in God's Word pointing us to Jesus Christ. And when that Word is faithfully brought by a minister who's been ordained, officially put into a position to preach, Scripture teaches us that Christ Himself speaks through that. It's the only way to understand a passage like 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, where Paul speaks of how the Thessalonians received His preaching, namely as the the Word, the voice of God. Through the preaching, they heard the voice of God. So we're to understand a passage like Ephesians chapter 4, which speaks, in which Paul speaks of the Ephesians learning, literally hearing Christ. And we would say, how did they ever hear Christ? Christ had already been crucified years before Paul ever came to them. How could they, how could he make a statement like this? And the explanation is they heard Christ through the preaching of the Apostle Paul. Now to be clear, this does not apply to preaching that departs from the Word of God. This does not apply to preaching in which the man staying behind the pulpit is bringing his own views before the congregation. Or he's twisting Scripture, saying it means something that it does not in fact mean. But with that qualification in place, when a man ordained by the church to be a herald of the Gospel, reads the Scriptures, gives the sense, causes the people to understand, Christ Himself speaks through that. And that's what makes it powerful. That's what makes it a tool for the Spirit to work faith in our hearts. And that is indeed what the Spirit uses, or what the Spirit accomplishes in the preaching. That's the language of the catechism. From Answers 25 says that the Holy Ghost works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. Notice that word, works faith in our hearts. Now, that does not mean that he creates new life in us by the preaching does not mean that He implants the life of Christ into our hearts by preaching. You see, our God uses many, is a God who uses means. He uses tools. And He does so in almost all of His works. But there are exceptions. And the main one here is that first work of grace He performs in and upon us. Namely, our regeneration. In Regeneration, the taking a dead sinner and implanting into their hearts the life of Christ, the Spirit does not use any tools. He uses no means. He simply walks up to us and takes that seed, as it were, and plants it right into our heart the way that we could go out into the yard 
and take a seed and simply press it down into the ground. We don't need a tool to do that. So how does the preaching factor in? The preaching is the means whereby the Spirit draws that life of Christ out of us. So that if we stick with the analogy of a seed, if you have a packet of seeds that you bought from the store, you could let those seeds sit there indefinitely and they're never going to sprout unless they're exposed to water. It's the water that causes the the life in that seed to, to sprout forth, to start growing. And the Spirit uses the preaching in the same way. The preaching is that water that the Spirit uses to draw that life of Christ that's been implanted in our hearts out so that it sprouts, it begins to grow. And the fact that the Spirit uses the preaching to do this makes it the chief means of grace. Yes, preaching and the sacraments are both the means of grace, but of the two, there's a chief of the chief, and that's the preaching because it's only the preaching that the Spirit uses to work faith. What place do the sacraments have then? They confirm faith. And that's the language of the catechism in answer 65 and confirms it by use of the sacraments. And then it goes on to ask, well, what are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible, signs and seals appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof He may more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the Gospel. So the sacraments are first of all signs. They are pictures. They are something that we can see that point us to something that we cannot see. Just like there are many signs along the 10, Interstate 10, that tell us Los Angeles is coming. It's up in the distance. Those signs are not Los Angeles itself. They simply tell us what we cannot see, that it's off in the distance. Well, the sacraments are signs. Visible picture, something we can see with our eyes that point us to the invisible grace of our God. So there's signs, but then the catechism adds their seals. And the idea of a seal being that imprint of the king's signature that he would use, that he would press into hot wax, indicating that some letter, some decree is authentic. It's truly from the king. The sacraments are seals. They're guarantees to us. They're a way of the King declaring officially there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Your sins have been washed away. Sacraments are signs and seals. And the Spirit uses them to confirm our faith, to strengthen our faith. That is to give us assurance. So that if we keep using that same analogy of a, a seed and in regeneration, the seed is planted by the preaching that life is called forth out of the seed. It, it begins to grow. There's faith that's seen. The sacraments are like fertilizer that's given in conjunction with the water. Fertilizer by itself is not going to do any good. 
You have to have the water, but when you add the fertilizer with the water, then that helps the plant to grow, to develop, and so it is with the sacraments. They're never used apart from the preaching, but they come alongside the preaching and they're used to help nourish our faith. And they do this by more fully declaring to us the promise of the Gospel. That's the language in answer 66. The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof, He may more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the Gospel. Now when it says more fully declare, the idea is not that He's telling us something new. It's not as though the sacraments give us different information, but they give it to us in a different way, visibly. He gives us something that we can see with our eyes. He gives us something that we can touch with our hands. Something that we can taste with our mouths. So the promise of the Gospel is declared more fully in a different way. And in that way, the sacraments are used to strengthen our faith. And the fact that He has given us the sacraments is a part of His preserving grace in our hearts and lives. Ties into what we read, for example, in Philippians 1, verse 6. Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Our God began a good work in us when he took that seed, the life of Christ, and implanted it into our hearts. And now he continues that work by means of the preaching and the sacraments. It's a part of the means he uses to preserve us in our salvation. So the Spirit uses means to do this work. But now again, there's implications from this. There's application. There's application, first of all, for the church. Because in light of this truth that the, preaching, that the Spirit is going to use the preaching and the sacraments, that this then dictates the calling of the church. The mission of the church. This is her work. This is what her primary duty. Preach the Word. Administer the sacraments. That's what's most important. Even as it was for the Apostle Paul as he's sitting there in prison in Philippi. Paul says in verse 18 of the chapter, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, that is, whether somebody's preaching Christ in pretense or whether in truth, whether with a good motive or a bad motive, Paul says, Christ is preached and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Paul was happy that Christ was being preached because this is the means that the Spirit will use. And therefore, this is the work of the church. This also dictates our worship service. That the heart and center of the worship service is the preaching of the Gospel and the administration of the sacraments so that we do not replace the preaching with skits or dances, with drama or showing some video or whatever it may be. But Scripture tells us that 
the Spirit of Christ will use the preaching and the sacraments. And therefore, that's what stands on the foreground in our worship. But then also for the church, this also is a reminder of our what should be our desire that others would likewise come under these means of grace, these means of faith. That was Paul's desire in Rome, or at least he was happy that that was true. He wrote, writes in verse 12, but I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, that is the fact that I'm in prison in Rome, have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the Gospel. And he goes on to explain verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace in all other places. Christ is using my very imprisonment to give me opportunities to preach the Gospel to others that would not have heard it. And He rejoices in that. Reminding us that this too should be our desire. That others would likewise come to hear the preaching of the Gospel and be brought to saving faith. So there's application for the church. There's also application for each one of us as individuals. Knowing that the Spirit of Christ uses these means, these tools, the preaching and the sacraments, means that I need to be a member of the church. And not just any church, but a church that is faithful in proclaiming God's Word. A church that is faithful in administering the sacraments the way they were meant to be administered. But it doesn't stop at church membership. The application includes church attendance. Because it does me no good if I have my name on the record. I'm a member by name. My name is there in the the membership directory, but I never show up. Because if I never show up, then I'm never going to receive that nourishment. Never going to receive the water, the fertilizer that I need to strengthen, to bolster my faith. But instead, I will, I will grow weak. I will become malnourished. Go back to that same illustration. Maybe a seed that was planted that has sprouted, and there's this little sapling, but no one will expect a little sapling to grow into a mighty oak if it does not receive the sunlight, the water, the the nutrients that that tree stands in need of. And so too, no Christian can expect to grow spiritually if he deprives himself or herself of the means of grace. So we have the calling to come to sit under the preaching, to partake of the sacraments, to use them. And we can do so with the confidence that the Spirit will use them. to strengthen our faith, to preserve us in our salvation. And the Spirit will use them to that end because these means of grace direct us to the object of our faith. That's 
the truth that's been implied throughout this whole sermon? What makes these effective? Why these tools? How do they work really? And we said, well, it's the Spirit who makes them effective, but you've got to go back and examine the tools themselves a little bit more. And why are they so useful in the hands of the Spirit? Because they point us to the object of our faith, namely Jesus Christ. That's their purpose. And that makes them effective because that's where faith needs to look. Faith is of no value apart from the object of faith. Jesus Christ. And therefore, faith does not look at itself. Faith does not look at its own activity, nor does faith look at anything that it produces our good works. And that means if our faith is weak, if there's doubt in our heart and life, the solution is not to look inward. The solution is not to engage in some sort of introspection, studying my faith and the strength or weakness of it. To use an illustration that I believe I've used before in a different setting in this congregation, imagine someone coming to a bridge that is spanning this wide gulf, this large canyon. Suppose that individual is a little leery of crossing that bridge. He's not so sure whether or not he trusts that bridge to hold him up as he walks across this giant gulf. The solution for that person is not to step back and study his own faith in the bridge. That is, the solution is not to engage in this introspection. Do I have enough trust in this bridge to get across? That'd be foolish. If you're struggling to trust whether the bridge will get you across the chasm, you look at the bridge. You study the bridge. You see that it's, it's well built. It's structurally sound. There's, there's no rotting. There's no decay. There's no damage. There's nothing wrong with a bridge. It's a good, sturdy, solid bridge. And when you focused, when you're focused on the bridge, that's what gives you the trust to walk on that bridge. And so it is with faith. Faith doesn't look inward, but it looks at the object, Jesus Christ. Because His sacrifice is the one and only ground for our salvation. That's question and answer 67. Are both word and sacraments then ordained and appointed for this end that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. And again, you recognize this is one of those question and answers in the catechism in which we have a very long question followed by a yes or no telling us that there's instruction for us in the question itself. The fact that the answer is yes indeed points us to the truth that's embedded in the question that the cross of Jesus Christ is the only ground of our salvation. It's the sole basis. for the fact that we are right with our God. It's not on account of anything that I've done. It's not even on account of my faith. But it's Christ's work. 
And now to tie this back to the means of grace, they're so useful. They have the effect that they do. They're a a powerful instrument in the hand of the Spirit because they direct us to the object of our faith. Are both Word and sacraments then ordained and appointed to this end? Yes, they are. That they direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what the preaching does. The preaching is the proclamation of Christ crucified. The preaching sets before us our Savior. Who He is and what He has done for us. And the sacraments do the same. The sacraments set before us visibly what Christ accomplished on the cross. And for that reason then, they are effective in the hands of the Spirit to work and to strengthen faith. What a good God we serve. That He not only gives us the gift that is faith. But He also gives us the means to support, to strengthen that faith. May this Word be an encouragement to us to be faithful in making use of those means even as we trust the Spirit to take them and to use them for our spiritual good. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank Thee for our salvation, which from beginning to end is a gracious work and gift from Thee, including the gift of faith. We pray that Thou wilt be pleased to work faith in the hearts of those who do not yet believe, And be pleased to strengthen the faith of all those who do believe. For we confess that we believe, but yet we ask help Thou our unbelief, for at times it's very weak. And to that end, direct us to the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. Fix our hearts and minds upon Him. that we might trust in Him, lean upon Him, rely upon Him for all things. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.